There'll be food and drink and ghosts, and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Welcome to Fear Feasts. I'm Ali. I'm Vanessa, and we are your hosts. Ali, kicking off our very first full episode of season three. Um, do you are you going to edify our our souls and our brains with a Bible quote? Because if you're not, I have one. You have a Bible quote. That's I have good. a Bible quote. Stand back so the lightning doesn't strike through the computer. Well, I'm going to surprise you with a quote by Margaret Atwood who was talking about the witches of Eastwick, which is what we'll be talking about today. And she said that what culture has to say about witchcraft, whether in jest or in earnest, has a lot to do with its views of sexuality and power, and especially with the apportioning of power between the sexes. Hit me with your biblical quote. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Exodus twenty two eighteen, which is way more, which is way cooler than your quote. It actually is. And I'm I'm shocked. And so in the meantime, I found another Bible quote that I'm going to throw at you. Oh, and I'm scared. Yes, yes, I am. And it says, let no one be found among you who consigns a son or daughter to the fire or who is a sorcerer or one who casts spells or one who consults ghosts or familiar spirits or one who inquires of the dead. Deuteronomy. Oh. And with that in mind, we're kicking off this episode because we're going to analyze the 1987 film, The Witches of Eastwick, with Jack Nicholson himself playing the devil. I know The Witches of Eastwick is, is not considered horror, and I know that we tend to talk about horror on this podcast, but it has elements of horror, and it's one of the most classic witch movies that I can think of, and it has a, excuse my language, but I'm going to throw in a bad word, it has a shit ton of food. And the food itself has a lot of symbolism in just the overall storyline. And the movie itself is based on the 1970, I believe, 78 or 79 book by John Updike, which we'll also discuss. But um, yeah, let's let's kick let's kick it off. Let's head over to Eastwick, Rhode Island. Let's go. I th the novel was is was written. I think it came out in 1984. Okay, I was the reason I had. Oh, it's set in the in 1970s. That's yeah. why I got confused. And listen, I don't know. Oh, oh, I'm going to have a lot to say about. I know. Book. Well, do you want to give the uh, synopsis of the film because it does more or less follow that of the book. It does deviate in a few places that we'll talk about later on. But if you want to give the overall synopsis, we can we can jump in. So it's just about some manless friends that come together, and I don't know. In the beginning, I thought they were sisters, but they're actually friends, mm -hmm. and they live in this small town of Eastwich and you've got Alexandra or Alex who's a brunette and she's played by Cher and then she's yes. an artist and a single mother of a teenage girl and then you've got Jane and she's got red hair and she's played by Susan Sarandon who's a recently divorced music teacher and then you have Suki who is blonde she's a journalist played by Michelle Pfeiffer also divorced with five children and then six 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 children. Six little children. demonic children, speaking of the devil. Yeah, I yeah. know. And, you know, they have this girls' night and they're drinking martinis. They're eating this cheese whiz that I've got to ask you all about. Oh, sure. And they talk about men and the perfect man. They they kind of hate living in this boring small town, don't they? Mm -hmm. And then this mystery man arrives. He's called Daryl Van Horn. And the mere mention of his name makes you clutch your pearls, doesn't it? I've seen you clutching your pearls, Vanessa. I know what you're like. Well, at least my pearls don't come off my neck and cascade down and cause somebody to fall down the stairs and break her leg. But and that's know. what it's all about. I digress. This is, I mean, 
these yes. women discover that they're witches you know they mm-hmm. don't know from the beginning and so yeah. it's all about this relationship um and lots yeah. of really weird things happen and obviously there's loads of food as you said and there's loads well, of food all, in the, the three of them all well. get they, the three of them all become romantically involved with daryl van horn and yes. they you know it's implied in the movie it's it's full-on stated in the book that they're you know basically having orgies with him but yes. you know it's, it's interesting because they're all basically sharing this man and as yeah. as you know time goes on they realize that his power is getting stronger and stronger and it's causing bad things to happen in town um we were talking about the scene with the pearls there's a scene fairly early on in the movie where after he's moved into town he's bought this amazing mansion up over the hill overlooking the town and no one can remember his name and they're all got, they're at this gathering with wine and cheese and they're talking and and all of a sudden um Suki remembers his name it's Daryl Van Horn and it's like this spell is cast and she has this necklace of pearls on and the pearl necklace breaks and the pearls go flying everywhere and they cause a woman of the town who also is has has witchy power she just doesn't know it mm-hmm. her name's Felicia and she falls down these stairs and breaks her leg. And Felicia is married to Clyde, who is Suki's boss at the newspaper. And they play a very pivotal role, especially later on in the film. So, you know, long suffice it to say, we are going to spoil the movie. Um, yes. You know, the, the women stop seeing Daryl because, you know, they start seeing that he's responsible for these terrible things happening, including things, something that happens to Felicia. They break away from him. He tries to woo them back into his in his clutches using romantic gestures food flowers the the usual um they don't go back to him so he starts to inflict terrible things on them based on their own worst fears um they end up reconciling with him and they figure out that they have to use their power to make him go away somewhere so they come up with this plan and they create this um amazing little voodoo doll using these kitchen spells and the end scene is just pretty great so we'll get we'll we'll get more into the details of the of the food and such as we go on but that's the basic synopsis of the witches of eastwick and the book is pretty much the the same it it has a few weird like things that they didn't include in the movie, like, you know, how yeah, and because I'm really pedantic. Yeah. yeah, I'm very pedantic and I'm going to go through, I'm going to go through the differences now. And I have to say something quite funny happened because you know how often names are changed and mm-hmm. the book version that I was reading, obviously there was something a little bit wrong with the way it was some of the letters. Anyway, instead of saying Daryl, um, Daryl Van Horn, it said Van Home. So I thought, oh, that's not very devilish. Van Home isn't kind of a a very demonic name, mm-hmm. and then I realized it was just an error. So <laughs> right, that's funny. And I was like, okay, I'm going to pay attention to all the differences. And there are kind of there. I I would say that the book is a lot darker in tone, and they're both set in Rhode Island. They're both set in the 70s, but Daryl is very much more like a a predator, perverse, yeah. devil like. And um, there's this really key element in the book as well, which is uh, not in the film. And that's that Daryl unexpectedly marries a young, innocent girl called Jenny. Mm -hmm. And so the three jealous witches cause her to die of cancer. And cancer plays quite a big role in the the book, doesn't it? And it doesn't in the film at all. No, they don't Um, bring it up at all. No, The the book is the, the book is very the book is very serious and I think it takes itself very seriously as well. It, you know, you, it, you know, you can, you obviously it's meant to be a parody on some level of, you know, the expectations that are are put on women and, and especially women, women who are single and women who, you know, have control over their own sexuality and things of that nature. 
which I don't have a problem with. I'm, I'm all about parody. I just, I don't happen to find that it's, I don't, I don't, how can I say this without sounding awful? I have a problem sometimes with certain male writers who write from the female viewpoint, because it, to me, it, it oftentimes doesn't ring true. And I didn't feel mm. that Updike's way of writing about women ran particularly true, you know, just the way he characterized certain things. And in the book, you know, all, all the women are in, in, in essentially, in, they're essentially in some level of competition with one another all the time, which that's not, that's not the case. You know, it's not, you know, not all women are always, you know, competing with one another. And I, I, you see that to a certain extent in the movie, particularly with the characters of um, Cher's character, Alexandra Medford, and Susan Sarandon's character of, 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 um, of Jane, you know, they, they, they portray them both as, as both being sort of kind of in competition, much more than the character of Suki, you know, Suki's, I felt that they each had their own unique love relationship with Daryl. Like he, he like shares character, Alex, he flat out tells her when he starts to seduce these women one by one and she, you know, she goes to his house and that's an, an amazing food scene. Speaking of food, you know, and food is used in amazing ways in this movie, but you know, he, she goes to his house, she runs across him, you know, she's out on her bike one day and he tells her he's looking for snowy egrets, which are a bird. And um, he just says one of the funniest things. He's like, have you, se you haven't seen any snowy egrets around? Have you? Not that I would know what a snowy egret was look like if I was pissing on it. <laughs> so she goes back to the house with him. He serves her this amazing lunch of, you know, seafood and the table has all these amazing decorations with all this food and fruit and all that. And then he goes, takes her to the bedroom and she tells him, are you trying to seduce me? And he says, I would never insult your intelligence by trying to seduce you, Alexandra, but I'd love to fuck you. You know, and I, he's just so straightforward with her. And he, I thought that was interesting because she is, she's, she's very straightforward in like, you don't get a sense that there's like anything really missing in her life. Like she's not this repressed kind of person the way that Jane mm -hmm. is. And so yeah. you get a sense that like she, she enjoys his company. Alex does. I never got a sense that she was like madly in love with him, but the one I think that was madly in love with him was Jane's character because she was so, so repressed. And when he goes to seduce her at her house, they have tea. Remember the scene where they're having oh, tea? Yes. Yes. And what does he, what does he tell her? And do you remember when she's pouring it and it yeah. kind of overflows because she's so taken by him. She can't say no to him. She can't resist him. What does he say? Well, she asks him one lump or two and he says four. I have an insatiable appetite for sugar. Yeah. I love all things chocolate, Coca-Cola. Um, yeah. He's like, I'm a man of, of many appetites. And that's it's such an obvious sexual like, you know, reference. But you're right. That scene where she's pouring the tea. It's so cute, you know, because she's just mesmerized by him and. You know, and, yeah. and and she, like I said, she's the most repressed of all the women, you know? So I think that he really brings out this, this side of her, this freedom. And I, I think that that is what, cause you, you get the sense. I certainly got the sense that she loved him the most. And you see that throughout the film. Like she's the one, she's very jealous when, you know, Jane brings Suki to the mansion after she's been seeing him and he goes, you know, takes Suki by the arm and they go and play that magical tennis game where they hit the ball up in the air and it stays up in the air. It's really cool. But um, yeah. And then when Suki gets involved with him, it's almost like she's, you know, she's obviously the mother figure of all of them because she's so feckened, you know, she's got three, six kids. So yeah, I almost got a sense that she sort of saw Daryl as almost like a child in a way. So they all have this very different these different ways of loving him that I thought were very interesting. Like one was like almost like an intellectual love. One was very much like a romantic 
love and the yes. other one was almost like a maternal love. Yes. And in the book as well, you get the differences. What really struck me was that there's so much energy that comes from from them in the book. Like you can really feel that they're energetic characters, mm -hmm. but they're all different and their relationship with him is different. Mm -hmm. And for example, Alexandra talks straight away. There's like, oh, we'll call her Alex. She makes she's making food. She gives a recipe, um, which is something that she you, is feeding her current lover, who is an Italian plumber, apparently. And so she talks about virility, talks about tomatoes. Um, she talks about, you know, all these kind of a dash of belladonna here, pepper, salt, a grated mm -hmm. carrot. So she's very enthusiastic about her food and yeah. um, she's very sexual as well. So she mm -hmm. talks about tomatoes as a plant and she says um, about picking the watery orange red orbs, she calls them. And she it says Al Alex felt like she was cupping a giant lover's testicles in her hand. And she talks about the violence beneath the skin of the tomato. And it's compared yeah. to, you know, male genitalia. So it's very, very raw. Yeah. All this. It's, I think it's, that comes across in the film, raunchy. doesn't it? It's very raunchy. And it does. And in the film, the film's quite raunch is raunchy as well. Like mm -hmm. there is that aspect of like and do you think this is to do with the fact that it's meant to be a feminist film? Because we are in the 80s and, you know, we've got motherhood, as you mentioned, maternal mm -hmm. figures and also being a single mother. They're all three of them single mothers. And that's carried on throughout the film. And yeah. at the end, especially when they then have the three. Well, you know, we're going to spoil it, but they will give birth to the to three boys. And yeah, they each end up pregnant and having the, the child of the devil, Daryl Van Horn. I so thought it might be that, seen as it yeah. might be seen as like this message of sing, being single and being a mother and that that's some, um, something to do with feminism. Possibly. You know what I thought for me, you know, just in terms of the kind of the supernatural aspect of the of the film is I didn't get a sense that they really knew that they were witches until kind of further into the into the movie. The book, you get a sense that they kind of already know, like particularly Alex, you know, she's very into her kitchen spells, her like you were talking about the Belladonna and all of that. Um, but in the movie, they don't really talk about themselves in that context. You know, they they it's made clear later on as time goes on that they they get together and they sort of form this coven. And then and that's in fact how they are able to draw Daryl Van Horn to their town is they're sitting together one night, like we were talking about earlier, drinking martinis, eating potato chips or crisps as you call them, eating crackers with cheese whiz on them. And they start to, they, they're talking about, you know, they're, they're the dearth of men in their lives and they start to basically summon their dream man, you know, a tall dark, you know, tall dark prince and on a dark horse or whatever. And they essentially, with their witchcraft, summon the devil, which is what witches do. You know, they summon the devil to Eastwick and they, you know, begin this, these, these sexual affairs with him, each of them do. Um, so it, it, but, you know, you don't really get a sense that they're very knowledgeable about their witchcraft until the very end when they, when they have, you know, decided they, they have to take, they have to make Daryl go away somehow. So mm -hmm. it's after they've, you know, reconciled with him and they all go and they spend the evening with him. And, you know, obviously it's implied that they have a, a foursome. And the next day they sent him off in search of bagels and ice cream. And uh, they, you know, they start running through his house and they find this book of, of witchcraft spells called Mal Maleficio. And I, they never explain like how they know that that book is there or what the book does. And I thought that was a kind of a, a big omission in the movie. But, you know, obviously the implication is that they know that they're witches. And so they start basically using, you know, kitchen witchcraft because they do it in the kitchen to create this voodoo doll of him. And they use it to control him. Um, it's really it's really interesting. And, and But in the book, you know, but it's also interesting because the book, 
you know, as much as they know that they're witches already, you don't get like, there's not any like even sense of like scariness or terror. And at least in the movie, even toward the end, you know, when Daryl turns into like full on devil mode, like there are some kind of creepy moments in that, you know, so it, it's an interesting movie, you know, it's obviously meant to be a comedy, maybe an, a, you know, drama action, but it, it does, it, it does have those elements of horror. And yes. I thought the way that food is used, particularly to illustrate some of the more horrific moments is pretty great. Yeah. And about cheese. I, yeah. I wanted to ask you, is it like a paste or yes. is it like a, okay. It's in a so can. It's something you squeeze out or and in a oh. can. Exactly. So what you do is you, you shake the can and it's an, it's a can that's, you know, the contents are under pressure and it's got this little like no nozzle at the end and you kind of push the nozzle and the cheese comes out in like, like a string. And you, mm. you put it like in a circle, like you put it on crackers in a, in a, like a circle. And it's like, it's so eighties. Like, I don't, I mean, I'm sure you can still find it somewhere, but it's, but I wonder it's like if the quintessential eighties like, snack, you know, crackers. I wonder if there's an eighties food equation that I can say, because I like pineapple on pizza. I will we like, know. we know, Allie, we know. And I will like on your pizza. prawn and avocado cocktail. And I will like, you know, all the eighties things. <laughs> yes. Yes, prawn and avocado. God, that is that is incredibly 80s, isn't it? Or isn't mango, mango coolie. That's another 80s type of food. Yeah, very interesting. But I like that, yes, you reference the fact that we kind of know in the in the film um, that they, they, they know in the book that they are witches because the way they're talking to each other as well, they're thinking, they're predicting things. They're like, oh, look, the weather's changed. And they, they were thinking about the whatever, you know, all these things that fall into place yeah. and how food is really important because mm -hmm. there's like a point where uh, Jane says, you know, I really love deviled eggs and they're chalky and they're sharp and I like them with a pinch of um, dry mustard and I like them garnished with chopped chives. So Updike goes into a lot of detail when it comes to the food descriptions. Mm -hmm. And then she says uh, Lennox, um, the Lennox Manor has, or mansion, sorry, has again become a place to keep an eye on. So they're very excited about this. And I feel like the food details build up with their excitement. Mm -hmm. Whenever they're excited about something or they're happy or they're having an affair with someone or they've had sex or that you know all this is how the, the food ramps up yeah so it, does. I, it does I feel like it and gives the en energy comes from the food doesn't it mm -hmm. it very much does and even in the movie you know they don't they there's so much food in that movie and you were talking about the Lennox house you know the Lennox house is the house that Daryl Van Horn buys and yes. in the book and the movie it, it used to be a place where they burned witches so, you know, obviously he's drawn there for a reason, but I mean, the movie, even, you know, even, even before the three women start to cast spells in each other's company in the beginning, the movie opens with food, you know, Cher is in her kitchen. She's, her daughter is there doing schoolwork, her, you know, she's making toast or sandwiches for her daughter. It's this very kind of nice scene of, of motherhood and domesticity even though you don't really get a sense that Cher is like, you know, all that domestic as a mother. And then Su the next scene is Suki getting her her six demon children ready for school. And she's made them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but she's made them peanut butter and jelly with a zucchini jelly. Oh my goodness, <laughs> the horror. And I thought it was an interesting uh, use of food because it starts with those two witches in a food scene and then it segues to Jane and Jane is a, t is a music teacher at the school. Mm -hmm. And so she's the one that like, ironically like later in the movie you see her just devouring food but in the beginning yes. she's very abstemious about her food and they don't even show her in the context of food at all other than drinking the martinis and she makes the comment when they're having their their coven night where they they summon the devil and they're drinking martinis and she makes a comment about oh these have so many calories and I had to laugh because martinis don't really have that many calories 
the food is obsessed with weight and counting calories. And mm -hmm. I have to go back to your zucchini commentary because there's some comment because there's something in the book which is really, really interesting that I'm only noticing now when you mentioned about the paste uh, that she puts in the sandwiches. And it's that there is a sort of intimacy through food memories in the yeah. book. And uh, that there's a section where it talks about zucchini bread, zucchini soup, and zucchini stuffed with hamburger and baked, cut into slices and fried. Mm -hmm. And uh, and this kind of reminiscing of throwing this into the blender and put it in, telling the children to put that on the bread instead of peanut butter. So they did take that from the book. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that. And he's and he, they talk about the kids. And one of them, I think he's called Monty, because it says Monty was desperate. Um, he said even his shit smelled of zucchini. So there's like, oh, oh maybe Monty's like an, a husband. And so Suki, Monty left you, he deserted you, and left you with five kids. Six. Six. Well, I mean, what is it with you two? I mean, her husband leaves her because she has too many kids. That's his problem. You're oversimplifying. Yeah. Yours leaves you because you can't have any. You are definitely oversimplifying. It's not the point, okay? What I'm saying is it's not your fault. Whose fault it is, we're just saying it's not that easy. Well, I think we're a little young to just lock it up and throw away the key, you know? I mean, it's not natural. What are we doing with ourselves? I was going to say, that's no different than when you eat asparagus in the springtime and your, your urine smells like asparagus, you yeah. know? But the fact that she's making the zucchini and then it's such a a kind of interesting dynamic that you're making mm -hmm. something fresh for your children and you're remembering something which is uh, really to do with excrement. Yeah. And so that's so typical of like this uh, thing about horror and food, isn't it? I just mm -hmm. love that. Yeah. yeah. And even in the movie, in that, that beginning scene when the three of them are, are at that, uh, it's like it's just like a school assembly outside. And the school principal, who's this this perverted, disgusting human being, is droning on and on. And Jane is the music teacher. So she's there leading the little orchestra. And they're listening to this man drone on and on. And the three of them are just like, you can see they're like bored out of their mind. And Alex is holding this enormous basket full of of zucchini, which is really interesting. Because I was like, why is she bringing zucchini to a school concert? And then the three of them start thinking the same thing. And they they cause the rains and the winds to come. And they it breaks up the assembly and they're all able to leave. But it was just, it was an interesting scene. So, I, you know, I, I haven't read the book in so many years, but obviously that the, the zucchini is meant to play a, play a role and yeah. a tie-in with so, Alex, and it's, Alex's character. It's quite a phallic symbol as well, isn't mm -hmm. it? Let's be honest. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know why the emoji people in the end chose an aubergine to symbolize the penis and not the zucchini, but you know, Who it is what it is. Maybe it's it the color, you know, green instead oh. of purple. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but there's who can, another way. Who can comprehend the ways of emoji makers? Um, talking of genitalia so there's this really weird scene where there's a they have a dog and the dog starts suckling are you are you Alex. still talking about the book I am and that's not in okay. the film you really yeah. went you really went into detail with that book oh my I, I had a hard time with it so I'm I could yeah. get my hat to you because I I, yeah. I don't care it for is... the writing of John Updike at all Mm -mm, no, I found it very, very hard, but I couldn't stop. I was mesmerized by all these references and the way that they're slightly, I always felt like every page I was turning, it was a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. Like there's something not quite right. Mm -hmm. The way that he's saying it isn't really empowering these women. It was quite, I felt like it was quite degrading and I don't know mm -hmm. why, but it was, so there's this it was description of, yeah, there's this mm -hmm. description of Alex, um, 
kind of exposing herself and the the dog suckles from her breast and there's just and Ew. I thought oh that's interesting because normally it's cats right that are the familiars of witches but not always mm. so dogs feature quite heavily in the in the book and the film mm -hmm. but again like there's this whole kind of um, parallel to uh, cancer and the fact that she exposes her breasts and is an opportunity to talk about skin and cancer and mm -hmm. the fact that the dog is kind of picking up this body warmth and she's worried about cancer a lot. So I just, it's just an obsession with this throughout the whole book, yeah. which we don't have in the film at all. Well, no, no, because the, the movie is meant to be kind of, entertainment like light entertainment and it does get into some heavy stuff like you know as is the as the movie goes on you know you start to see how how food is is turned into a um a, a tool of of magic to be used against other people and the specific scene i'm thinking of is the very famous cherry pit scene um so in the movie you know there's a character named felicia who she's she has witch powers as well but she's very unaware of them she's very christian she goes to church she's she's married to um suki's boss who runs the newspaper they're very respectable and mm. she has these these premonitions of evil she senses that daryl van horn is evil and she continues to kind of speak out against him and so really awful things start happening to her you know suki's pearls break and they cause her to fall down the stairs um not suki felicia and break her leg and then it's her breaking her leg that causes her to sort of kind of lose her mind in a way but she continues to just speak out against daryl van horn people think she's crazy and it's that scene where the three witches are there with daryl van horn and they're talking about felicia you know spreading rumors about them and their lifestyle and the fact that they're all sleeping with him and you know they're like you know i just wish she would go away jane says and um yeah. they're eating from this enormous like very baroque rush you know silver bowl of cherries and Daryl keeps pushing the cherries. He's like, have a cherry, have a cherry, keep having a cherry. And the scene is amazing because they're eating this huge bowl of cherries. And they keep spitting the cherry pits into the bowl. And the more cherries that they eat, and then they they mirror it with the scene where Felicia's at home and she's losing her mind. And she's saying, that man is evil. He's corrupted those women. He's going to spread his seed. You know, he's going to take over the town. He's evil. And all of a sudden, with all the cherry pits that the, that the three witches are eating, Felicia starts to vomit up. The cherry pits and it's yes. just absolutely disgusting i mean talk about weaponization of food right we have not done anything wrong why should we stop seeing each other you know clyde says that felicia has visions why is it always women who have visions well, he says she sees the devil here in eastwick why would he bother i mean if you were the devil would you come to eastwick oh i don't know i'm trying to tell you they're selling pornography at skylar's new shop in the open on the shelves Children are looking at this. They're standing in broad daylight. I can't understand one word you're saying. Not one. They're standing in line. Filth in broad daylight. Right. <laughs> like projectile vomits these cherry pits and, and they go everywhere and they're just like dripping off of the lampshades and she vomits and, and her husband is like, and her, her poor husband, she's been so verbally abusive to him and he just snaps and loses his mind, picks up the fireplace poker and beats her to death. And then he yeah. sits back down, picks up his paper. <laughs> He's been quiet. That to me is one of the most like notorious and infamous food scenes. To me, that's like a perfect example of food and horror right there. And and we don't have that in the in the book. Sorry, we don't have that in the book at all. Um, so that that scene is and I've 
you know, cherries are an interesting food when it comes to what they signify in horror. There's another film uh, called Mama, and mm -hmm. I think it was I've produced it. by Guillermo del Toro. And mm -hmm. so there is this scene where uh, the ghost of a woman is feeding and keeping two children in a kind of cabin in the woods mm -hmm. um, alive just through cherries. And there's something a bit wild about cherries. There's something a bit uh, kind of dark and it's a luscious fruit, isn't it? And it's quite mm -hmm. uh, an interesting one. So it's, it is kind of often approximated to the devil along with berries and blackberries because it's things like berries that there's this tradition or this saying that if you want to keep a devil at bay you you put like a basket of berries outside because then he'll have to count them before coming in mm -hmm. and there's an interesting scene in the film where um Suki I think doesn't want to let Daryl Van Horn in at some no, point it's after they've he broken wants to up go in him and he wants she to see has him. to be but he has to be invited in to go in. He, he can't just walk in. Mm -hmm. And um, so she says, I can't let you in. I can't invite you in. So there is this thing about letting the devil in. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Like a vampire. Yes. Yeah. And, and also, you know, it's interesting because, you know, fruit in general, berries, berries tend to be one of the, the fruits that they have. Some of the, the some, some of them have their seeds on the outside. So I've often wondered if maybe that's part of their affiliation with evil and the devil and things like that. But if you think about the movie overall, like the use of fruit throughout the movie is so, it's so blatant and it's so very tied to the devil and how he uses food against, um, against people. Basically, you know, that scene where he's, you know, Suki, ends up in the hospital he's like he wants her to accept this basket of of fruit and she won't take it and she tells him i can't accept right. it you need to go away and then so he goes to find jane and jane is at home well it turns out jane is at the doctor because she's found out she's pregnant so jane goes to find daryl and tell him she's going to have a baby he's at home at that point he's already he hasn't had he hasn't had any luck getting uh alex or suki to to let him back in so he's watching this video that he's made of the three women and when they're talking about their like deepest fears and there's a bowl of fruit on the table in front of him. And when he's watching the section where Jane is talking, Jane has, has shared that her biggest fear is getting old and disintegrating. She says, like, she says, sees everything in her face disintegrating. And the camera cuts to the scene where, like, he's watching this. And all of a sudden, the fruit in the bowl in front of him, like, just turns brown and shrivels. And then she sees herself in the mirror and she's, she's aged for a second. And it's horrifying. And then yes. she goes to find Alex and Suki to warn them what Daryl is doing. And they find Suki and they kind of juxtapose the scene where Suki is like having terrible pain. And the reason why is because Daryl is watching the section of the video where she's saying that she's just terrified of pain. And mm, he yes. has these red fruits. And I can't remember what that fruit is. It's not an apple. It's not a pomegranate. I want to say it's a quince, maybe a red quince. And he bites into the quince. And it like the seeds just go all over his mouth. And then in this in the movie, like she's like just. The fruit is meant to be her, obviously. And she's just overwhelmed with with the pain and she collapses. And it's interesting because that particular fruit, talking about seeds, you see the scene very clearly where he bites into the fruit and you see all these beautiful black seeds. And obviously, like, that's meant to represent Suki because she's so feckin'. You know, she's had these yeah. children. She's had these seeds come out of her body. She's had these children. I thought that was fascinating, that that juxtaposition of that particular specific fruit. Yes, you know, representing motherhood and and how yes. he, how he weaponizes that particular food against her. So fruit, fruit in general. Think about it. The there's the cherries, 
There's the quinces. There's the bowl of fruit with the apples in the beginning. There's a scene where um, Suki is uh, eating a banana and it's in the most, it's in, I'm trying to think of where, where she is in the movie. She's doing something. I think she's, I can't remember anyway. She's got this banana and it's so very phallic. It's like she's holding it and it's curved and it looks just like a penis. And it's in the most incongruous environment. I'm just like, why is she standing there eating it? A, a banana, like it has no context for anything else other than, but I just thought that, I just think the use of fruit in horror and how it's used yes. to, to you know, in this case, you know, as, as weaponization is fascinating. This and movie is full of food. <clears throat> yes. And, and talking about... um uh, kind of innocence and kids and stuff often we don't see them and I often ended up thinking what are the kids doing because there's no one with them like <laughs> literally right? on their own mm -hmm. and they're often complaining that they don't get home-cooked meals um, and they don't want takeaways so you've got kind of these kids that are just always saying that they're starving and they don't mm -hmm. want hamburgers they say from Nemo's which must be a dimer or a takeaway place mm -hmm. um we don't want hamburgers from Nemo's we want home-cooked meals just like the other kids get and I, and you know this has been read as Updike trying to be progressive and just saying you know um but mothers don't have to cook at home they can get takeaways and they can do this and this but the but the kind of idea of motherhood that he provides then on the other side of things isn't traditionally kind of no. one which is which is particularly good which is why I always get this kind of a bit of a contrasting feeling with what he's saying it's like mm -hmm. well what's wrong with having a takeaway and then it's like something else happens and you can see just how bad of a mother well, um, and that's that's, that that's part of my issue with John Updike in general is, is he's met on the surface I think he wants to give the impression that he's writing this sort of feminist manifesto type of thing. But there's this like underlying like criticism of women like in this scene in particular where he's like, oh, well, you know, these kids are over here making a, making a fuss because they're not getting fed a home cooked meal. And you think you and I have talked about this in our, in other episodes where, you know, oftentimes when it, like I'm thinking of the movie um, The Babadook in particular, where the yeah. mother oftentimes is ordering pizza or getting carry out for her kid because she just doesn't want to cook for him and there's this Im implication that she's a bad mom you know that and and that's throughout that movie too you know she's got all this guilt about feeling ambivalent about loving her child and all that and yeah uh, and it's 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 a it's a it's a very subtle criticism on women I think and on mothers in particular so then I started to get interesting and I thought I wonder what his other works are they have this kind of misogynistic streak running through them or if this is the only one then maybe this was a satirical commentary on the situation of single mothers or whatever but then apparently from what I can gather in general he tends to be misogynistic also mm -hmm. in other works it's been said and then I found this whole section on have you ever heard of the Bechdel test no Okay, so the Bechdel test is, um, it's kind of a test that first appeared in 1985. And the writer, Alison Bechdel, just wanted to work out how to find out whether a film was misogynistic or not. And the parameter for that was that two women needed to have a conversation, one conversation in the entire film, which was not about men. And then um, the the Witches of Eastwick does not pass this test because there's no oh, conversation no. between the women that has nothing to do with a man. And so then I started to research what book does. And apparently, even in the entire Bible, there are only two interactions that pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> Where two women 
uh, where Ruth talks to Naomi whether and they talk whether about finding food. Whether thou goest, speaking of the Bible. Where where you go, I will go, mm-hmm. Ruth. And also a conversation where Ruth and Naomi talk about finding food. But isn't that amazing that in everything, you know, women are talking, but it will always be about the opposite sex. It won't be about doing they something. They even make that comment in the movie um, in, in toward the beginning when the three of them are having their martini and cheese whiz night. And Alex makes a comment. She's like, oh, who needs me? Men aren't that great anyway or that important. And and Jane says, well, why do we end up always talking about them? Sure. Quilting, macrame. What did we do last Thursday night? Chinese aphrodisiac cooking. Fabulous. Stimulating. I mean, we're not relaxing. We're hiding. I don't think that men are the answer to everything. No. Then why do we always end up talking about them? Who should we be looking for? Somebody nice, somebody you could like, somebody with a brain, somebody you could talk to. Someone you could really be yourself. With. Yes. Someone to watch, watch over me. me. All right, all right, I've had it with you too, okay? <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's 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 yeah. another interesting, another interesting out, you know, just look on 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 that as well you know and they i mean this entire premise of this movie and this book is women getting a man you know in this case three women sharing a man and they want this yes. dream their dream man their ideal man yeah so i mean and i think everybody feels that way in a certain level male or female you know we all want to meet that right person you know mm, we all you know yeah. have that companionship but you know i think there is a a tendency in literature and in culture and society and in film to to make that much more the purview of the woman like women's entire focus is finding a guy and and you know it's like not always somehow, women have somehow. other interests you know it's it's not all just about finding and getting a guy no 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 and in mm-hmm. fact in the end you know at least in the film what what comes through is that yes these three women are a little bit in competition they might get annoyed with each other over daryl but in fact they then help each other and they get yeah. through it together there is like this fiercely feminist energy that goes in the film and i, oh, I yeah. wonder i wanted to ask you do you think it's because of the actresses because Cher and pfeiffer and susan sarandon you know they're big actresses and they have their very yes. strong personality. So I reckon that contributed in some way. Oh, I'm it? certain. I'm certain that it did. But I also think that, you know, particularly with uh, Daryl Van Horn's character in the movie, you know, Jack Nicholson, you know, he plays it as really, you know, really having an, an admiration for women, you know, when he's talking about how women can get pregnant and, and, you know, give birth to the mm. babies and then their bodies produce milk to feed the babies. And he's like, you know, and he's just like, he, you get a sense that there's a, a certain admiration for women, which I did not find in the book at all. And I don't no. I don't know if that is Jack Nicholson, because Jack Nicholson in the day was quite a notorious womanizer. Um, mm. But I never got a sense that Jack Nicholson was a misogynist. I think Jack Nicholson was one of those men that genuinely liked the company of women. I'm being honest with you. I like women. I admire them. But... If you want me to treat you like a dumb twit, I will. But what's the point? You have brains, Alex. More than brains. And you don't even know it, do you? Well, most women do not. Are you married? Good question. You see? Brains. The answer is no. I don't believe in it. Good for the man, lousy for the woman. She dies. She suffocates. I've seen it. 
And then the husband runs around complaining to everyone, the person, and he's the one who killed her. <laughs> Where's your husband? Dead. He really yes. likes the women and their beauty and, and, you know, things like that. Um, and that's very attractive to women. You know, when you, when you, you know, when you meet a man that you really likes women, I don't mean yeah. just sexually. I don't mean that just wants to take him to bed, but a man who really enjoys, genuinely enjoys the company of women and shows it, you know, that's very attractive and that can be very seductive. And you can see, and you can understand why all three of them sort of fell for him in these different ways. Yes. Mm -hmm. And also you mentioned the church. He then goes into a church, doesn't he? And he does that big monologue, which is against women. He says, you can't trust women. You can't. So I wonder yeah, if exactly. that, it's like that flip flipped. side of it. Well, yes. that's because what happened is, is that's when they've done the spell on him. Yes. They're trying to get rid of him and he realizes what's going on. Yes. And he's just like, girls, what are you doing? And then he runs into the church and you know, and so it's like, you know, you know, yeah. And it's, and it is sort of hypocritical in the sense, like it, it reminds me a little bit of that scene where Felicia's in the hospital and her husband is feeding her and she's saying all these awful things to him. And he's, you know, she's telling him that he's weak, that he's this, and he just keeps trying to shove oatmeal or porridge into her mouth to shut her up. And it made me laugh because it made me think, you know, that's how a lot of, a lot of men are not all men, but a lot of men are, you know, they, they, they don't want their, you know, if their wife or their girlfriend or something says something they don't want to hear, they'll try to find a way to shut her up. And in this case, you know, he's trying to get her to shut up. So I thought it was an interesting inverse as to when Daryl Van Horn and the women finally take action against him and try to like, you know, get rid of him. Yes. He turns he against them betrayed. in his own way. Yes. Yes. He felt he, he, you know, and he does, he shrivels up, he vanishes. And then these three women are living together in Daryl's mansion and they each have a baby son. And then there's this interesting moment where Daryl appears on the screen because it's like he still is managing to well, he is. manifest. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's the devil. You can't. I mean, I think yeah. I think that's meant to imply you can't. Oh, you can't ever completely get rid of of evil because if no. you got rid of evil, how would you have anything to balance against the good? You know, I think that's sort of if, if there is a, any moral to that movie, which I don't necessarily think there is, but if there is a moral to that movie, it is that you know the 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 constancy of evil and it can be it can manifest in in the most innocuous of ways and in this case it does you know like you're you and you're left kind of not sure is are these kids going to end up evil are they going to be good you know because he's obviously still going to be part of everything in their lives you know yes. yeah yeah so. so he manages with you know his devious goal that of impregnating women which was announced by felicia at the beginning mm -hmm. she did say that um he yeah he manages in the end and off he goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and you're not sure, like, like you said, you know, it's, you know, they, maybe, maybe they, maybe what they were able to do through their kitchen magic and their witchcraft is get rid of that particular physical manifestation. But mm -hmm. the idea is that obviously hit the evil and whatever it is, you know, all of this is just, it's, it's a personification and it's going to come out in some other way, maybe through these babies, maybe through another human being, who knows, but you know, the devil, uh, like like we saw in the movie, um, the Devil's Advocate. You know, the devil takes many forms. Another, yes, another another biblical quote. And, uh, yeah, I love that quote. And an interesting thing about the cheese with whiz in the film, mm -hmm. and then you have references to cheese in the book, but it's Gouda cheese. It's mm -hmm. you know they talk about a wedge of red coated cheese. They talk about cheese and pate, and it's very much more kind of 
refined in many ways so mm -hmm. maybe there are different manifestations of the devil and there are also different manifestations of cheese well it's <laughs> an interesting contrast, in different stages because yeah in, you know it, you know the updike makes reference to these more refined kinds of food and in yeah. so many other ways he's so just he's just so like what's the word i'm trying to say He's just so visceral when it comes to like bodily fluids and things like that. Listen, and I thought that was fascinating. I I don't I know the scene you're going to talk about, and I let I don't no, want, please don't. don't. I know I know exactly. I can't. The one. I know exactly. No, the one. I don't know I don't. if you know. I don't know if you do know. I might have to mention something, and then you say yes. Oh la 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 la, la la la! I'm gonna cover my ears because I know what you're trying to say. It's disgusting what this Daryl Van Horn does, and he puts his bum over I the neck. Love, I love, I guess I know exactly. <laughs> Did you know? I'm I won't say anything like else. It. But let's say that the Suki gets a taste of something which isn't food. Let's put it that way. I know. Eh. You got to admit, like that would be hard to, you know, trans trans translate to the movie screen. You know, come know. on now. This I is know. not a movie about coprophages, so. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious i love I mean, that overall it's a overall it's a it's a wonderful movie i i i watched it again a couple of times getting yeah. ready for this this episode and it, it i think it has um i think it's aged quite well i think it has uh, lost none of its charm i think it's still um it's very you know it is very feminist in its in its outlook and it's so fascinating to watch it and you know and, and from you know 30 30 years after I, you know, first saw it and it's, it's just great to see, but it is interesting to notice the, um, the interactions between the women, because I think me watching it at the point in my life that I'm at now, it makes me laugh because, you know, obviously it was meant to, you know, it was filmed to kind of show them as sort of being in competition with one another. And I like how at the end they reconcile things and they, you know, they realize, you know, the three of them that, you know, they did love him and it was possible to to share him in their own ways because they even ask at the end, you know, she says, you know, do you, would you want him back? And they, you know, you can tell they're thinking about it. Like, Hmm. Sure. And I think there is an element of kind of witchcraft and just magic in the way that he seduces them. And mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of that first scene when they go to his house, well, in the book, they, um, I think who's the first person to go. Is it Alex? Alex. And she says, and I'm going to read out one of my favorite passages between the iconic pillars of his fireplace beneath the ponderous mantle stretched a ceramic frieze of fawns and nymphs, naked figures, white on blue, Fidel bought hors d'oeuvres, pastes and dips of crushed sea creatures, empanadillas, calamares en su tinta that were consumed with squeals of disgust with fingers that turned the same muddy sepia as the blood of these succulent baby squids. And I wonder if they were just as seduced by all the food and as, as much as by him. He's pretty mm -hmm. ugly in the film, isn't he? Like, I don't feel that he's an attractive No, and, and, and Alex mm. even makes, she makes that little diatribe about, you know, she doesn't find him physically attractive at all it's it's really kind of interesting in the beginning but he's able to seduce her you know and, and I think that that speaks to their kind of relationship is he's able to seduce her not through sweet words and kisses and all these things but he he he's, he appeals to like her practical side you know he's like why are you going home yeah. all you're gonna yeah. do is what are you gonna do cook the food's just gonna get eaten again you know and I thought that yes. was a really interesting way to, to kind of point out almost the futility of her life so yeah. you know and, and it's funny because he almost does the same he does the exact opposite with Jane. You know what I mean? Like he appeals to the side of her that that is deep inside of her, this part of her that wants to come out and wants to eat 
you know, cookies and drink. Yes. You know, and then he brings it out on her. And I'm always, I love the scene where after he seduced her and she started like, like coming out of her shell and wearing her hair wild. And oh, yes. I love that. And yeah. she's in the grocery store. And she's wearing this like pink dress and, you know, the women, the women of the town, they're very respectful. They make a comment like she's not even wearing a bra because, and you know, she's wearing these sunglasses. Her hair is all wild and crazy. She's walking around eating this box of Oreos, you know, and she's like, those are fabulous and blah, blah, blah. And it's just so like, it's so completely different from who she is at the very beginning, you know, worrying about yes. the calories in a martini and blah, blah, oh, blah. Yes. Walking down the aisle with no bra and, you know, totally mm -hmm in her own little world of sensuality, eating cookies and all of that. I just thought that was to me. And then I love how the the women kind of turn it against her and they call her a whore. And she's like, yes, a lot of the, and in the book as well, the women get slut shamed a lot. And actually what's interesting to me, that's like characteristic of, of a man. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's, think about it. But they also fight back. Oftentimes that's oftentimes how a lot of men choose to come down. Down is they, they will, they will, they will attack them through their sexuality. You know, but there's also a passage where, for example, of the women, women, the women fight back. And actually, Jane, precisely when Daryl says this thing about the, uh, oh, I'd love to be a woman. You know, think about what the female body can do. It can produce milk. It can feed babies. Yeah. And she says, well, think of your own body, the way it can turn food into shit. So she's quite abrupt yeah. back and so she can fight back a bit more I felt that the characters were softened a lot in the film there was a lot of softening of the characters yeah. um compared to the book they're quite harsh in the book mm -hmm. and just as as vulgar and you know can be just as vulgar as Van Horn in fact they become more and more as they hang out with him more yeah well it's like they almost take on characteristics of who he is like that's almost yeah. in the book that's almost what he brings out in them as opposed yes. to the movie where he brings out different things in, in each one of them, you know, and in, in Cher's case, in Alexandra's case, you know, he brings out her, this sense of like, you know, she's holding herself back in, in her own way. Like he, she starts to become a, a better sculptor in the, yes. in the movie and he takes that part of her, out of her. In Jane's case, you know, she loses her sense of like repression and holding herself back. And, you know, she becomes this, you know, person who loves to eat and loves to drink and loves to have yeah. sex. And then in Suki's case, I never really got a sense that Suki had, there wasn't a sense that like he needed to bring out anything in Suki. Suki was always already like this earth mother type of person. I think maybe he gave her a sense of freedom. Like he got her away from her children and maybe mm. showed her a sense of fun in life that, you know, she was like so hung up on. She's not a very well-drawn character in the movie as opposed to the book. To the book, you know, yeah. You don't get, like I said, you know, she's a mom. Her husband, you know, bailed on her with all these kids, and you know, you don't get a sense that like she needs something in the same way that Jane or um or Alex do. You know, you yeah. kind of sense it. Yeah. Got a sense she's already pretty centered because of her kids and stuff like that. Yes, and um, you mentioned as well that Van Horn kind of um, eats a fruit and it goes down his chin, isn't it? The and it makes a red and it, it looks funny like blood. Yeah, in in the book, it is he is eating. Um, he's drinking a Bloody Mary, and it's a tomato juice that runs down. So they, I love that they've kept some of the same kind of images, haven't they? And they've used different things to to produce the same effect. Yeah, I agree. And now I'm obsessed. I'm going to find that. I'm going to find that fruit. Red tamarillo. I've never heard tamarillos, of tamarillos. Okay. And you mentioned Suki not being that well drawn in the book. I thought she was very well drawn. Mm -hmm. And no, she, she was. 
she expresses things through her hunger as well. She's like, she actually abstains from eating at one point because she's having an affair and she doesn't have time to eat her lunch because she's going and having sex in a parking lot. And she's very open about this. And so then she says that she's very, and then she starts to become hungrier. She kind of hangs out with Van Horn more and she's like, you know, always eating breadsticks and describing what she's eating and comparing yeah. things to food as well. So she becomes, as she becomes increasingly kind of sexual, stepping away from the motherhood, I think, aspect mm -hmm. of her life, which is um, what we see a bit more in the in in the film is possibly that she is always kind of holding all her children, isn't she? Yeah. And it's, it's quite a striking image. She's quite striking in that film. I can't stop looking at her in that film. Mm -hmm. She's so kind of white and... There's something about the shape of her face. They, they, all three of them quite look quite witchy. I have to say, mm -hmm. they did a good job. Yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. I love this movie yeah. so much. And like I said, you know, I mean, then not, not maybe, not maybe typical horror, but significant horror elements. I would, I would say, particularly in how food is utilized as a weapon and as a, as a, as a tool in in spell casting as well. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, just just a final, um, I think, observation on the whole mis misogyny aspect of it, because there are some things I can't put really I can't put my finger on. Yeah. And it just leaves me with this sense of him not being fully, you know, on the side of women, whatever. But the, I think it's due to the language as well. There, there are some words that he uses that I think are just not in our vocabulary anymore. Yeah. Things like being an ice maiden, things like nagging, which he says about the the the, the women. Um, the way he says it, and I think that's what strikes me as well as kind of being really outdated mm -hmm. and old-fashioned and misogynistic. There yeah. are some terms that you just wouldn't use anymore in that context, you know. Um, I yeah, agree. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting read. I mean, it's some, it, I, it's something I do recommend people read if they wanted to, but it 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 definitely to me strikes a misogynistic chord, um, and that's the reason I never cared for it. It's got a ton of food, you know. It's very entertaining, yeah. and John Updike ha does have a very kind of like prosaic way of of putting things you know like he's he's I wouldn't say he's got purple prose but it's bordering on that so and I don't mind that I think I actually enjoy that because you get such a sense of place and and just the you know the descriptions of the the homes and the environments and I do I do like that um yeah. you know I think it but I, I I much I much prefer the film for, for for many many reasons and what would you cook from this what would you make from this um film gosh I do not know there's so much food um I think in in honor of that famous scene, I'm going to have to do something with cherries. <gasps> a cherry pie, maybe? Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do a cherry pie. I think maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe something ch with cherries and cheese whiz. I'll have to try and. Uh... Oh, okay, that sounds like a good cocktail. Maybe maybe a cherry maybe <laughs> maybe a cherry martini. Nice. I think a cherry really martini. I really love cherries. A cocktail. I'll, I think I'll. I actually think, in all seriousness, I will do a cherry mar cherry martini. Yes. Garnish it with some cherry pits. Maraschino cherry. Mm -hmm. And um, about you, something. I think you're something with the zucchini. I and are you gonna, with are you tomatoes. Gonna, oh, okay. <laughs> something else with zucchini, but no. With recipe wise. <laughs> recipe wise, maybe something she's with like, the tomatoes. Like I won't be cooking with that zucchini. <laughs> I'll put it to better use. Um, no, you know, oh I sent God. you the picture of my pasta zucchini, didn't I? With my, that I, I make pasta out of zucchini. Yes, and then yes. uh, I did a pesto sauce spiralizer. and it's actually really nice. Mm -hmm. My daughter loves that. It's one of her favorite dishes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I might make something with tomato, actually. Okay, lovely. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And make sure to tune in for our next episode coming to you in two weeks. As always, stay spooky. Thank you.
Wouldst thou like to live deliciously?